you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're at this morning, Acts chapter 2. The message today is simply entitled, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Messiah. We're still in Peter's sermon And as Peter is preaching, this is the second part of his sermon. We looked at a text last week where he used the book of Joel. And this week he's going to use many of the Psalms to kind of share with you that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to get rid of this. That way I'm just not hindered this morning. Um, But you got to understand the Old Testament, the key figure, the Old Testament prophecies were all about the Messiah. They were all about the Messiah. The Messiah was the one they longed for, they looked for. In fact, what you need to understand is that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies about the Messiah. In fact, there were actually 103 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. That's right, 103. Did you hear that? 103. Nine of those were just pictures of what he would do, but the other 94 were direct prophecies that Jesus himself fulfilled in his lifetime. Now, there are many more to come, but 103. Now, why I emphasize that is because they say the likelihood of even fulfilling eight of those prophecies, that's right, eight of those prophecies is one to the 10th to the 17th power. Now, I want to, to understand this. I got this description from a guy to help you understand what one in the tenth to the seventeenth power is. Suppose that we were to take ten to the seventeenth power in silver dollars. And you guys all know what a silver dollar is, right? All right. One to the ten to the seventeenth in silver dollars and lay them on the face of the state of Texas. You know how big Texas is, right? Humongous. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now you mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that that's the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. That's just eight. He fulfilled 103. It is impossible for one man to do that unless God had ordained it and they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every bit of the Old Testament kind of pushed us towards the Messiah. Jesus is found all throughout the Old Testament, even though we don't hear his name Jesus, we hear it in many other ways. But all throughout the Old Testament, it brought us to this point. And Peter, as he's preaching, he wants you to see the development of these prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. So we're going to look this morning at four stages in Jesus' life to show that he was the Messiah. We begin in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2 when we look at the life of Jesus. He says this, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. In other words, Peter said there were three things that Jesus did that showed his life was one of the Messiah. It was through what? Through miracles and wonders and signs. The word miracles there actually comes from the word dunamis, which we understand comes from the word power or authority, also the idea of supernatural. The word wonders, we took it last week from the word teras, which means something that invokes astonishment or amazement. And the word signs comes from the word simeon, which means miracle with a special lesson. 
listen. In other words, when people saw Jesus, they knew he was who he said he was. In fact, in John chapter 3 and verse 2, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says this. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We see it in the things that you do. We see it in the signs that you have performed. But not only that, in the Gospel of Luke, we see several cases where this comes true. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 16, it says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, it says this. It says, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, when you see these miracles perform, when you see the things that I've done, how can you deny that I'm the one the Old Testament wrote about? You can't do it. You cannot do it. You cannot comprehend the idea that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these. In fact, some of the ones that are talking about his life and the things that he would do in his life are found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 61, a passage that we're actually going to look at tonight when we go into the Gospel of Luke, verse 1 says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus Christ said, man, you look at my life. I have fulfilled what the Bible says. I made the blind people to see, the deaf people to hear, the lame people to walk, the dumb people to speak. He was able to cast out demons. He was filled with the power and the Spirit of God. He did these amazing things. And that's just the miracles. If you look at all the other prophecies about his life, where he was born, he'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born to a virgin. He'd be born from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and come from the line of David. He would be an eternal king. He would perform signs. He would go in to Egypt. He would have a massacre of the children during that time. You would also have a forerunner that would go before him. Every one of these signs was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His life was living proof that God didn't lie. His life was the proof that God had given his word and God would fulfill it. Jesus' life is proof that he was the Messiah. I mean, you think about it. If somebody walked around today and they started helping people who were born blind all of a sudden be able to see you say, well, Brother John, I've, I've watched a few of those television programs. I have too. I saw a guy one time get supposedly healed. Now explain something to me. If you've just had your eyes open and you've not been able to see, what are you going to do? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to run outside. Because I'm going to want to see things I've never seen before. I'm going to want to go out there and see all the beauty of God's creation. I'm going to want to see my family. I'm going to want to see what they look like. Make sure they weren't ugly when I married her. Right? I'm going to want to see those things. But I saw that ministry happen, and that guy just stayed behind the curtain the whole time, and he's just standing there like this. I'm like, if I have my eyes open, there's a whole lot of places I'll be in, and they won't be behind no curtain. But Jesus, when he opened blinded eyes, they were able to see, and they went and took off, and they shared with people what Jesus had done for them. When he made the dumb be able to speak, it amazes me that they opened their mouths and they were able to talk for the first time. Those that couldn't hear were listening to the voices. Jesus Christ did those things right in front of the crowds. They could not deny what he was doing. In fact, they said, this guy, 
this guy is doing some amazing things. In fact, not only what he did, but what he taught and how he taught. As he taught, they said, wait a minute, isn't this this carpenter's son? How does he know so much? Uh, That's because he's the omniscient God that we've been waiting on. He's the Messiah that you've been looking for. But yes, the Old Testament talked about his life. Number two, it also talked about his death. Look in verse 23. Him being delivered, get this, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. you got to listen to some of these powerful words. He was delivered. That word is ekdotos, which means those surrendered to their enemies. Jesus was surrendered to his enemies, delivered over them. By the determined, which means to mark out with a boundary. This was God's predetermined plan. In Luke 22 and verse 22, we see that when he says this, And truly the Son of God goes as it has been determined. But not only that, he said it's for this purpose, which means God's will, his design, and his purpose by the foreknowledge of God, which comes from the word prognosis, which means to know beforehand with absolute and a certain state of condition. Jesus knew what he came for. Jesus knew where he was going. Isn't it amazing that he knew what he would be facing and what he would go through so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven, and yet he still went. He still went knowing that the cross was ahead of him, knowing that death was imminent, knowing that he would be separated from God, and yet he still went. That's love. It would have been one thing if he didn't know that's how it was going to end. It would have been one thing if Jesus would have walked this world thinking that he would perform miracles and he would raise up a kingdom and he would lead the people of Israel. If he would have fulfilled what Israel wanted, it would have been one thing to believe that. But to know he was going to die and go through the most excruciating death and experience a turning away from God the Father, that is love. 1 Peter chapter 1 Verses 18 to 20, it says this, knowing that you were not redeemed, talking about us, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God's plan to save mankind came before even Adam was created. You say, wait a minute, doesn't that give us a theological problem? Doesn't that pose a a threat to what we believe in? Why would God have created Adam knowing he would fall? Can I explain something? If God had put you as Adam or God had made you Eve, you would have fallen as well. Because God gives you the freedom, and guess what? You still mess up. You still mess up. You say, oh, well, they lived in a perfect place. I don't care if you live in a perfect place. You yourself will make it imperfect. They sinned. But before that ever happened, God knew. God had a plan. That is love, that God loved you so much, he planned from the very beginning to give his son's life 
for you. He foreordained and he foreknew these things. In fact, the Old Testament tells us many of these time and time again. Some of the main Old Testament scriptures that talk about the death of the Messiah are found in Psalm 22, verses 14, 18. Listen to this powerful. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue clings to my jaws, and you have brought me to the dust of death. It's talking about the crucifixion here. It's talking about how he would go through a period where he would be thirsty, where his mouth would be dry, his tongue would cling to his cheeks, that he would be through so much pain and devastation. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Talking about nailing him to the cross. The enemies were all around him. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. When that cross was dropped into the ground, it shook his body with such a force that it shook every bone out of joint. In verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. So many prophecies fulfilled right there in just those five verses about the death of the Messiah. But they're not the only ones. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6 says this, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You remember when he stood before the high priest and before their guard, they would slap him and they blindfolded him and they spit on him and they mocked him. And he went through all of that struggle as a part of his death so that you and I might be free. But let's not forget Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. Do you get that right? That's our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. Now you think about the stripes he took. Now there were many stripes he took upon his back, more than likely upon his chest. That cat of nine tails probably would have whipped around and hit him in the face. It would have hit him all over his body. But every stripe, every drop of blood was shed so that your sins and my sins could be paid for. He goes on in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's love right there. We walked away from him and yet God still desired to bring us back. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All. Now, that's a lot just in this room. But could you imagine all the sins of the entire world falling on the sinless Son of God and Him becoming our sin sacrifice? Boy, that's love. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. He died for us. He died paying for our sins. He died taking our punishment upon his body. He did that so that we might be free. 
God proclaimed all of this in the Old Testament. In verse 12 of Isaiah 53, listen to this. Therefore I'll divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. The Bible tells in Zechariah 12, 10, we will look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah 13, 7 tells us that the sheep will scatter when the shepherd is struck. He was struck so that our sins could be forgiven. He died so that our sins could be paid for. And I'm here to tell you, he died. He really did die. And he did it to fulfill the Messiah's role in dying for our sins. Oh, but I'm so glad his sermon didn't end there. He's going to spend a whole lot more time on the next point. The resurrection of Jesus. Look at me in verse 24. <laughs> Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be healed by it. Don't you love the way Peter says it there? It wasn't possible. You can't keep a good man down. It wasn't possible. Why? Because of his divine power. In John chapter 11 verse 25, he told Martha, he said, look, he said, you need to understand, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, you don't have to worry about where your brother's at. He's going to come back one day. But I got something even better for you. He's going to die again. But I am going to rise up from the dead. And then those who die in Christ will rise again. You have nothing to fear. It is by his divine power that they had not possible to hold him down. It's also by his divine promise they couldn't hold him down. John chapter 2, I love it, beginning in verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. He promised. He promised them, I'm going to die, but I ain't staying dead. I'm going down. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again. You can't stop the promises of God. If God promises it, he will keep it. He is a promise keeper. He is a way maker. He is the miracle worker, and he can do it in your life and in mine. He is a great God, and you cannot hold a good man down. Can't do it. It's not possible. By his divine power, by his divine promise, and by his divine purpose. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of my favorites. Y'all better get ready. We might dance here in a second. You ready? We're going to start in verse 16. Listen to this. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If the resurrection isn't real, we're all in grave trouble. If the resurrection isn't real and we die, we still die in our sins. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't real, we die in our sins and we are then sentenced to hell. 
But he doesn't stop there. I'm so glad that Paul just kept going on. He says this in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam die, all die, but even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You have a choice. You can live in death or you can live in life. You can choose to stay, stay in the course that you're going on and go straight to hell. Or you can choose to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Paul is preaching this right here. But each one in this order, Christ the firstfruits after those who are in Christ at his coming. But I love when we get to the end of his message in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to start in verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption. Aren't you glad this is not the body you get in heaven? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am so glad when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? I love this passage. I use this a lot of times when I'm at funerals because, man, there's just so much victory in what Jesus Christ has done for us. There was a time I was mowing my backyard. Many of you have probably mowed, and all of a sudden a bee stings you, right? Man, when they sting you, that's not fun. I remember he stung me right in the back of the crease of my leg. And so I'm walking, and I get too mowed, and I'm like, I'm a man. I can finish this. Ain't no bee going to take me down. I mow two more stripes. After I mow two more, I rub the back of it again. I'm a man. I can do this. Ain't no bee going to keep me down. I mow two more stripes. I let go of the mower and said, I'm a man, but I'm going inside. <laughs> I went inside. I got some ice. I rubbed my leg. I sat down, and I pulled the stinger out. And I remember holding the stinger in my hand, and I said, man, I'm going to kill that bee when I find it. I promise I did use good words that day. But then I held that stinger and I remembered, I thought to myself, wait a minute, he's already dead. I got the stinger. He's going to die now. I don't have to find him. He's going to die on his own. That's what Paul's saying here. When he says, oh, death, where is your sting? You see, Jesus Christ took the sting for you and me. He took the power of death. Now you say, wait a minute, I'm still going to die. You're right, you are going to die. But the power of death that can hold you down and take you to hell was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. He took the sting of death for you and for me so that we don't have to worry when we die where we're going. He gives us the victory. Look at what he says. The sting of death is sin and strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sing victory in Jesus, ain't it? We just get a little song in our heart and we give him the glory and the honor and the praise. Why? Because his resurrection is proof he is who he says he is. It's a promise that he made. But then he's going to use some of David. In verse 25 he says this, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You'll make me full of joy in your presence. You see, in the Old Testament, they talked about the place of the dead. You realize that the Old Testament saints didn't go to heaven when they died. That's a promise that's given to us because Jesus Christ had to be the first fruits. Only two went before Jesus, Enoch and Elijah, but they went because of special circumstances. But Jesus would be the first fruits of those that had died because Enoch and Elijah didn't die. The first fruits of those that died and were raised up eternally to live in glory forever. Jesus Christ is that first fruits. But those in Old Testament went to a place called Hades and David talked about it here. He says, for you'll not leave my soul in Hades. He wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah, his seed that was to come, as he's going to explain it in just a moment. And then he says this, you will make me full of joy in your presence. You want to know the most joyful place? It's not Disney World. It's heaven. We will know what joy truly is when we enter into his presence. And David talks about this in Psalm 16. But he goes on, and and Peter wants to explain Psalm 16 to him. In verse 29, when he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. You know what he said there? Peter said, look, you can go to David's tomb, and you'll still find his skeleton. He's still there. David wasn't talking about himself. And in verse 3, he says, therefore, being a prophet, he's talking about David being a prophet because he was speaking about the Messiah, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. What is he talking about there? Well, again, he's talking about another psalm of David. In fact, Psalm 100 And 32 in verse 11, the Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. He's talking about the Messiah. You realize there there are so many prophecies, so many things proclaimed in the Old Testament to show us that this is Jesus, that he's the one we've been looking for. Verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God is raised up, of which we are all witnesses. We've seen him. We've seen him. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there were five over 500 Hundred people that saw him. And he says, when Paul writes it, he says, many of which are still here. In other words, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Go ask them. Why? Because Jesus would not stay dead. The book of Psalms also talks about this. In Psalm chapter 49. Psalm 49 and verse 15. It says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Salah. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah declared the resurrection in Isaiah 52 and verse 13. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what have been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Verse 13, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. 
He's not going to stay dead. Isaiah 53, 10, 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives us an idea of a prophecy fulfilled that many did not see as a prophecy, but Jesus wanted to show that it was. And that is in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 39. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Jesus. How did I flip the wrong page? My fault. Let me go back to that one. Matthew 12, verse 39 through 41. But he answered and said to them, And even an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Man, there's so many prophecies throughout the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. The whole purpose of Peter's sermon was to say, Look, You've been waiting on this guy. Here he is. You've been looking for the guy. You've been looking for the one that's proclaimed in the Old Testament. This is the guy. He's the guy you crucified. He's the guy that was rose up from the dead. He's the guy that they're trying to lie about and tell stories about. This is the guy we've been waiting for. It's Jesus. But lastly, we look at the exaltation of Jesus. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. The Bible tells us that he was exalted in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. They saw him rise up. Hebrews 1, 3 says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's been exalted and lifted up. Why? Because Scripture tells us in Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Not only did Peter preach this, but Jesus would use this one earlier in Matthew chapter 22 when he was speaking to those that were testing him. In Matthew 22, beginning in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him again. Why? Because David wasn't talking about himself. The first Lord there is the one Yahweh, Jehovah, the great God of Israel. The second Lord there is the word Adonai, which means one greater than the speaker. God had proclaimed that these things would happen in Psalm 68 and verse 18, that he would be exalted. Isaiah 52 and verse 13 tells us that he would be high and lifted up and exalted. All of these things came true. Why? Because Scripture told us they would come true. The Old Testament told us that Jesus would fulfill these things. There's a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, that I want you to understand something. If Jesus is not 
the Messiah, then there's not going to be one. Because in that prophecy, it actually gives the specific time frame of when the Messiah would have to be born. So if Jesus doesn't meet that qualification and he doesn't meet the requirements of the Messiah, I just want you to know we're wasting our time today. If Jesus doesn't fulfill the things that the Old Testament proclaims, then you and I are just senselessly coming to church. And that's what Paul was trying to get across in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul was trying to get across to them that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're still in our sins. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're still destined to go to hell. If Jesus is not the Messiah... And every one of us in here is in grave trouble. But guess what? He is. He is. He is. And if he is, the question simply today for you is this. Is Jesus your Messiah? Is he your Messiah You say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you don't confess him as Lord and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, you're not saved. You say, saved from what? You're not saved from your sin. You're not saved from your destiny. You're not saved from your eternity. You're not saved from yourself. You're going to go to hell. But if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is Jesus your Messiah? 